0: We're going to do this every Sunday, every Wednesday, and um, we're going to make it our prayer. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord.
1: Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem.
0: Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together.
1: Where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord.
0: For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David.
1: Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you.
0: Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces.
1: For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you.
0: Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. That's a command of Scripture, church. Think of it. When it says pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as I mentioned on Sunday, that is a prayer request that is petitioning the return of the Lord, the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace to come. But Father, we pray that as the Middle East is heating up and Israel, many in Israel think, I understand, I get it, but many of them who do not know the word of God believe that they're fighting for their very existence, and yet we know, as terrible as the terrorist attack has been and and the war that's going on, your Bible tells us that Israel will now never again be driven out of the land. They will never again cease to be a nation. They will never again, in any way, uh, be exiled. We pray that the gospel truth from Genesis to Revelation would permeate not only the Jewish people right now, but Lord, for those that are throughout the region. We pray right now for the leaders of Iran. They don't even know this, but Iran, uh, Persia, is a Bible land. It's It's a land of the Bible, Persia. We pray for those in Iraq. We pray for those in Syria, in Lebanon, and in Egypt. These are all regions of the Bible, with, of course, the epicenter of Jerusalem. So God, we pray in these last days that you would cause us to be a people of the book, the word of God, the Bible, and that we would obey every word of it. As we look around at the world and we see the nearness of your return, We've never been as close as we are tonight. Amen. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Um, why don't you remain standing, right? Because we're going to get into the reading. Grab your Bibles and uh, turn to Hebrews. Can, listen, Hebrews chapter 10 tonight. We're, we're in the 10th chapter now. We've, we've made it to the 10th chapter. It's going to go fast now from here on out. It really will. But... Um, It's going to go fast from here on out, but not fast tonight. But from here on out, it'll go fast. So Hebrews chapter 10, I'll read verse 1 if you pick it up in verse 2. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect.
1: For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins.
0: But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year.
1: For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins.
0: Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, this is Messiah, this is Jesus, and this is his ministry theme, as it were. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me.
1: And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure.
0: Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God.
1: Previously sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according
0: to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that's the first covenant, or the Old Testament. He fulfills it, that he may establish the second.
1: By that will, sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for
0: all. Once and for all. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hebrews chapter 10, church. And as we look at this together, we're looking at a message now in the series that will come out of this chapter, no doubt, and that is coming out of the shadows. Uh, coming out of the shadows. And as we think about this tonight, we've been studying uh, in fact, if you think about it, here in chapter 10, what really began in chapter 7 is one long argument of announcing that the Messiah, Christ, Jesus, is better. Remember, he's better than Moses, the Bible says. He's better than angels. He's better than the uh, the priesthood of the past, uh, and yet he's equated with the priesthood of Uh, of the Old Testament, which is technically the first one ever mentioned. Do you guys remember this? And that is Melchizedek. Very little known about this amazing manifestation uh, back in the book of Genesis, and that is in chapter 14. You can read that later, but this priest was this man, Melchizedek, where a lot of people, and I get it, a lot of scholars, um, some say that that is uh, a Theophanies, where... Uh, Melchizedek was none other than Jesus appearing in the flesh before Bethlehem. He, that's certainly true in other parts of Scripture where Jesus literally appeared way before Bethlehem time. That's awesome. It's called a, a Theophanes or Christophanes. Is, is that who Melchizedek is? There's great scholars on the other side that say no, it's just a, a, a type. Uh, It it chooses, the scripture says that he has no beginning or end of days. Well, that's kind of like eternal talk. Uh, That regarding his parentage, there's no record. Uh, That uh, he has an order of a priesthood that's forever. That's unusual because Moses would come along later, some 450 years later, and eventually God will tell Moses to establish the Arianic priesthood. Right? Think about that. This is very important, everybody, that we get this down. That in the early opening chapters of the Old Testament, even up to the time of David, what David was about a thousand, I think it was about a thousand years before Jesus. Close to it. 900 years, David? Before Christ? When you look at David's life, you can relate to David very much because he sounds like you when he's writing about the dynamics of his life. He calls out to God and he asks God to forgive him, right? David talks about, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He, in, in many ways, David reveals a walk with God that is much more like you and I enjoy than what you would think. And the issue with Abraham, watch, I'm deliberately leaving somebody out for a purpose here. David, we can relate to David. We can also relate in the Old Testament to Abraham. Abraham was declared righteous by God, of course, before the law ever came about. But Abraham was declared righteous by God because Abraham believed God. He had faith in God. And the Bible tells us that God imparted to Abraham righteousness because Abraham believed in the Lord. That's your life too. You know who your life isn't like? And it's why I left him out of the equation, and that is Moses. Your life is not like Moses's life. Your life is like Abraham's life. Your life is like David's life. But think about it. Moses's life, no, Moses's life was bound in the law, And God had called him to give the law. And according to the Bible, the law of God, not only the Ten Commandments, but all of the instruction given, all of it speaks about the righteousness of God, the holiness of God, let's be honest, and the sinfulness of man. The Ten Commandments are given to us to show us not only how we're supposed to treat God, but one another, and we immediately fail... You say, well, I didn't do those things. You don't have to do those things. All you have to do is think those things. You said, well, who said that? Jesus did. <laughs> Jesus said that, because remember, the, the scribes and the Pharisees were strutting around about how righteous they were. And Jesus said, I tell you what, if you look at someone and lust after them, you've committed adultery already. Guilty. Have you ever looked at somebody else's, um, well, back in those days, it was their donkey or their camel. It's like, man, I'd love to have that black camel. That guy's got a black camel with pinstriping and chrome hooves. (laughs) That would be coveting or idol worshiping. And the scripture is very clear about these things, that we have... Fallen short of all the things the Ten Commandments lays out. If we've not done them, we, we have fought them. And that the Bible tells us in the book of Romans that all of mankind is guilty before God. And so that's why it's a bad habit for anybody who claims to be a Christian to be pointing their finger at somebody and, you know, being the fault finder. You know, the Lord's called me to point out everybody else's faults. no. That's not what he called you to do. The fact of the matter is, what is being spoken of is that a relationship with God, the Old Testament convinced us of our sins, and then all along the way, the promise of the Messiah. Think about this, church. This should be very simple, and I do believe for you here in the house that it is simple. That the law is holy, just, and good, and it had a certain purpose, That we, by our flesh and lack of faith, impose upon the law. That we can somehow, oh look, there's the holy law. And so I'm going to keep it, and I'll be holy too, and I'll be fine. And as long as my good outweighs my bad, we begin to pollute the perfection of God. We try to reason with it. When the law is made of stone, and it just looks at you with the rules, And the Apostle Paul said it was given to convict us of our sins. And the moment that happens in your life, you need an offering. You need blood. You need these innocents to be offered up for the guilty and thereby have forgiveness based upon that atonement. So church, this is a very, very important chapter for sure. A little bit of background. You can follow along with me in your scriptures or the verse will be on the screen. It's Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, back there, verse 6, it says, Now when these things had uh, been thus prepared, he's talking about what uh, God had given Moses to assemble, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services, but into the second part, that is the Holy of Holies, the high priest went in only once a year, not without blood. God said if you came in without blood, you would die. Wow which he offered for himself. Listen, everybody. Why would the priest who goes before into the Holy of Holies would have to offer up blood for himself and for the people's sins? Well, because he's representing God. He's not God. He's not even in the place of God, really. It was known that you are the mediator between God and man as the priest, as the high priest. The sins committed in ignorance, verse 8, the Holy Spirit indicating, this is awesome, the Holy Spirit indicating, showing, displaying this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. What an amazing statement. The true way to God has not yet been provided is what the Old Testament reality was it was all a type tabernacle the showbread the menorah all of these the priesthood itself all of it was acting out that which is a greater thing all was not yet made manifest for the first tabernacle was still standing verse 9 it was what's the word church symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Big word tonight, conscience. Verse 10, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances imposed, here it is, until the time of reformation. And here is a great verse. It's not just that it's Christmas time. This is what he's referring to. Matthew chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible tells us, Jesus leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, or by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Here it is, and this is part of the Christmas uh, announcement as well. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. I'm just going to flirt with you this way about the shadow of death. It's not just the shadow as it's dark, and they lived in in a region that was given over to paganism, and Christ came. absolutely true. But the Old Testament economy that the book of Hebrews is showing you is to be left behind, and God's new covenant is to be embraced because it's the fulfillment of the old, is a type or a picture of the symbol of leaving the shadows of all of these things that were cryptic and that were done in such a way that makes you even scratch your head, especially when you read the book of Leviticus, it gets to be brutal. Number one in our note-taking tonight, church, it's verses one to four coming out of the shadows. It's this it's that believing is seeing. Will you write that down, please? Believing is seeing. No, nope, Pastor, I believe that seeing is believing. No, you really don't. That doesn't work. Seeing is not believing. That never hold that never lasts. It never endures. I know it's a sugar fix at first, it's a rush. If I could just see, I'll believe. Uh, That horse uh, starts to slow down after a while. You want to know why? It's so strange. You would think seeing is believing and that's it. I saw it and that's the deal. Over time, what's amazing about God's call for us to live in faith is that no matter what we've seen, as time goes on over time... We may not see it the same way. Somebody might persuade us. Well, was it really that after all? But when it comes to the issue of believing, which I'm talking about faith, it actually opens up a door of comprehension that is not affected by anything that can influence or sway. And I'm very grateful for that. And you and I will be grateful for that. If Jesus doesn't rapture us home, then we're going to die somehow. Every single one of us, somehow. I mean, I hate to break the news to you, but you're gonna kick the bucket someday. And um, when that happens, uh, when you say seeing is believing, well, what happens when you can't see in the things of the Spirit? Or it doesn't, you look around at what's happening to you in the room or in the world, and you come to the conclusion, I don't believe anymore. Why? Based on what I see. Oh, sorry, that's sad. But when you believe in him who is mighty to save and never changes and is immovable, then no matter what you see around you, it doesn't affect what you believe. And we need to know this in our day and age, church. The future is to the world in doubt. Not to God. Not to you. It shouldn't be. It should not be. If you know your Bible, you can see. And the first thing that we see in verse 1 is that by leaving the darkness behind, believing is seen. how do we do that? By leaving the darkness behind us. It says, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. So that's a mouthful. What is he saying? He's saying this, that everything regarding the liturgical worship and sacrifice of the Old Testament system had its expiration date on it, and he announces that it could never deal with totality the the sin and the sacrifice needed it can't produce it so watch how brilliant the bible is and how simple the bible is it says here that they offer continually year by year if god forgives sins by the blood of an animal then why this is what he's saying then why would you have to do this every time uh you had a bad thought or you are you committed a sin you'd have to go get blood again And read your Old Testament. You got to go get a a dove or you got to go get a lamb. You got to go get a sacrifice. Why? Because you've sinned. And if that was the final word, if God says this is the way it is, you got to have a temple, you got to have these articles and these implements and this the Holy of Holies and then the holy place, and you need to have the brazen altar out there, And that's the way it's got to be. The Old Old Testament setting, it's going to be like that forever. Well, you've got a problem because the Old Testament says that God is going to do away with the old practice. Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, it says so. But if an animal being offered for your sins takes away your sins then why do you have to keep doing this? Well, then that's, uh, that's why the priest would go in on the Day of Atonement. Why did he have to do it every year? Why did it have to be repeated? Because listen, if you're a legalist, you're looking at those things as though they work. It didn't work. It said that those offerings covered sin. It never removed sin. And so when they made offerings, they looked ahead to God's future promise. Yeah. They looked ahead. You don't look ahead, church. You look back. We're 2,000 years this way. They were 2,000 years the other way. And they all, we all look back at the cross. And it's an amazing thing. You see the beauty of that where it's by faith. It doesn't matter if you're Noah or you're Bill today. Separated by thousands of years, yet the answer is the same. To look to the Messiah to be your salvation, your deliverance. And by the way, this is one of the most, most sobering verses in the scripture if you think about it because, again, if you consider what it's saying, it's saying that until Christ comes, your sins are just covered over and you're... Your offering just when it about runs out, don't worry, the high priest on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, will do it again. And you just kind of, it's like driving a car and you're low on gas. Then you finally get refilled. And the, the, the scripture here is announcing the glorious fact that when God brings his promised Messiah, it won't be like that, it will be one offering. Once and for all. And you just think about that, what that means to us right now. We don't get it. If we lived thousands of years ago, there were things that you did today or thought today that you would have to go get an animal tonight and go slit its neck and capture its blood and then go before God and say, I'm sorry. Aren't you glad? Can you imagine the animal rights people going crazy? Well, there wouldn't be any animal rights people. It would be just part of the system. Oh, I think we uh, underestimate the joy and the greatness of having Jesus as our Lamb. You know. Yeah. And so this word shadow—that for the law having a shadow. The word shadow is the Greek word skia. It's listen to this. It, it's the shade. It's the shade or a shadowy region or regions, an area. It means a place or location that is present but not clearly visible. It kind of goes like this: Imagine driving in the fog. You know where you're going, and you can—is that—is that the bridge? I think it's the bridge. It looks like it's the bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the bridge. You know it's there. You can make it out enough to know. Yeah, that's—that's that's it. But you can't see any of the details of the bridge. The Bible says. That that's exactly the situation that they had in the Old Testament. It was shadowy. They couldn't see clearly. And then the scripture goes on to say that it was not the very image. This is awesome. Right here in verse 1. The word image, econ, is the word. And it means uh, a statue. Or watch this. A form of or likeness of. It's a representation. Something embossed. That would be something stamped or pressed into the likeness of the original. This is awesome. So for the law having a foggy, uh, dim view of the good things to come, and listen, the law was not the very image of the things. So the law announced righteousness, but it couldn't bring righteousness to you. It could just point out your failure at being righteous. Righteous. The law got us. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19 says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth pains, until Christ is what? Formed in you. Stamped, embossed in you. Isn't this? This is beautiful because, again, as Christians, when we say Christians, you know, I try to avoid saying that because people, it's been so abused. So as followers of Jesus... Rather than God dealing with animals and animal blood and an earthly priest, we've got Jesus who the Holy Spirit's work is not to make us like some earthly priest. Listen up, please, everybody. It's not to make us like some earthly pastor, priest, uh, evangelist, pope, anybody, but Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to emboss Jesus more and more into your life. He's the image of the invisible God, the Bible says. And the very same nature, this is amazing, the very same nature of Jesus is what the Holy Spirit has been doing in your life since the day you gave your heart to Christ. See, why why are we in heaven yet? I often think that. And then I think about what the Bible teaches, and we're not ready to be in heaven yet. God's got work to do. That's, and it's not that he just has work to do. He has work to do on us. So why aren't I in heaven yet? Well, apparently you're not ready. <laughs> if I were ready, right? I mean, think about it. When a Christian dies, uh, they, they were ready. They outgrew their body. It's time to go. But uh, in this day and age in which you and I live in, um, I have no doubt, I I don't think I was doubting before, but I think it's going to get extremely, extremely uh, dynamic to be a believer in these days. So last uh, Sunday afternoon, I was at uh, the Rams game, and I wouldn't have normally gone, but uh, I'm a dear friend of the quarterback for the commander, Sam Howell. And so I left the 99 to go be with the one. (laughs) Uh, He he joined our church online during COVID from North Carolina at the time, when he was there with uh, North Carolina, the Tar Heels. And um, so during halftime, and I'm sorry, I don't remember who the person was, but the the announcer on the field was interviewing some NFL Hall of Famer, and everybody was going crazy, man. He was, had all these records, and he was, he's the guy. And the people were cheering, and he was talking, and he's talking about, it, it was, you know, my experience with, and I don't even know who the team was. The 49ers or the Eagles or whatever, he's talking, and people are going, yeah, yeah. And I'm not kidding you, I've never seen this in my life. The woman asked him, well, how did you know? You were so consistent year in, year out in the NFL and your career was so long and successful. And he said, everything I've done has been to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, well, that's not the reaction that happened at SoFi Stadium. People began to boo him. As soon as they heard that boo, boo, he was, a, he was a Hall of Fame star three seconds earlier. And then he mentions Jesus, and the boos began to descend. And I'm not talking a couple thousand people. That must have been tens of thousands of people. There's probably 75,000 people there that day. And man, the booze came down on Jesus. Let's be honest. The booze didn't come down on him. The boos came down on Jesus. And I bet in that moment, because whoever that guy was, God knows his name, that was a little bit more of the pressing of the image of Christ into that man's life. The world might have booed him, but heaven applauded him. The world might have rejected you or booed you Or canceled you. You said this verse to your friend, didn't you? You gave a verse to your friend or you said this online in a little chat room thing or on your Facebook page and then you've got all these people started attacking you. And then you come to me on Sunday and you're crying and you feel so bad because they said terrible things about you. It's Excuse me, I'm sorry, no sympathy here. It's called social media. You put yourself out there, buddy, you're going to get run over. You stand on the freeway, you're going to get hit. And the people that said all these mean things about you, you don't even know who they are. And they got you all. In England, they would say, they got your knickers in a wad, didn't they? I think that's great. They got your underwear all twisted up. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Listen, when you stand for Jesus... It's the Holy Spirit is using those kinds of issues to press the image of Christ even further into you. So that's why the Bible's. that's why Jesus said, you ought to rejoice when people persecute you for righteousness, for righteousness sake, right? Don't lose heart. In John chapter 1, verse 16, John 1, 16, it says, and of his fullness we have all received, listen, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Colossians chapter 2 verse 16. Colossians 2:16 says, "So let no one judge you in food or in drink, I'll explain this in a moment, or regarding a festival or a new moon or sabbaths." I should stop right there verse 16. So, do this, do this, this, this. And we'll, be, we'll accept you. And if you blow any of those things, then you're going to have to do these things to get right. And it's kind of like training a dog, you know? Sit down, roll over, play dead. And the only way you can get the dog to do that is you give them treats every time you... Here, you do this and you get this. Oh, I blew it. You know what? You got to do this and then I'll, I'll give you this cookie. And it's, it's sick, but it's the human psyche apart from God. Just tell me what to do. God says, I'd rather just lead you by my right hand. Isn't that beautiful? But if, if listen, if we don't have that personal relationship with Jesus... But we have a hankering to be religious, then you love rules. You love them. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And yeah, the problem with that is, once you do 75% of it, your head's gonna be 75% bigger because you think you're something. That's why the flesh loves legalism. It doesn't take faith to operate in the flesh. You can see the requirement. You can meet the requirement. Check the box. Next thing, what? Tell me. God's not in that. So when it says, don't let anybody judge you in food and, food and drink, he's not saying, uh, go eat junk food and go buy, go buy Bud Light. That's not what he's saying. Oh, look, I have the freedom in Christ to go to McDonald's and drink, drink a Bud Light. No, actually, you don't. You need to read the whole Bible, and uh, you need. First of all, you need to take care of your body. I mean, I. I don't. I don't practice that personally, but I. (laughs) We. We should. We're supposed to take care of our temp. These bodies are the temple of the spirit of God, so that God can use us. Now I don't understand how that works out because God has given us. A day in which we're going to die. You know that all of our days are numbered. Did you know? He knows the exact number. So somebody will say, if he knows the exact number, then let's eat pizza tonight. And then we'll get ice cream and French fries. All at the same time. Because he knows the day I'm gonna die anyway. This is true. However, you wanna feel good up until that time comes. You want to be wise. And it's very true about what even goes into us. But he's talking about these things connected to religious performance, festivals, and new moons, and Sabbaths. Look what he says in verse 17. Which are a shadow. There's that word again. Of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. The word substance is the body. It's the word soma. By the way, the body, the evidence, the reality, the bulk, the manifestation of the whole thing is Christ. That's awesome. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. You know this well, 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. That plays beautifully with that word soma. The body, the evidence, the reality, the bulk, the manifestation. Listen, here's the reality. You come to me, everybody who's heavily, heavy laden and burdened, which is everybody in the world without Jesus, and he says, I will give you rest. I will bring what is shadowy, hard to figure out, something that you don't get. You come to me. Say, I can't, I I have to figure everything out. I have to, I gotta know first. Listen, there's a part of God where he says, listen, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna stand right here and you're gonna be right there and you've made it all this way and now you need to make a decision. Jump into my arms and you can talk about it all day long. You can tell God how high you can jump but until you jump, It's just talk, and it's not happening. you got to jump. You've got to trust. Jesus says, come to me. Think of it. Come to me. And you're you're running to him. My granddaughter, she's she's, uh, 13 years old. She's so strong. Really great at volleyball, and she's just strong. But she's 13. And you know... You know, when you you remember when you're 13, I try to forget, but it's that, that's a tough age. That's a tough time of life. And so she'll come and she'll grab a hold of me. And I think she thinks maybe she still sees herself like she's six years old, but she'll come and she'll grab me. And it's like, we, we both almost fall over. I'm thinking about falling and cracking my hip or something, and she's just loving on Papa. And so what's amazing about that equation is, uh, I'll suffer a broken hip to have that kind of precious relationship. God does that on a grand scale with you and I. We don't know exactly how we ought to act. God says, that's okay, you come to me. But what do I wear? Just Come. Where do I sit? Come. Uh, when? Come. You know how we are. Let's analyze it to death. Some of you can't pull the trigger on anything because you've got to think about it forever. Right? And then the time comes, well, I'm going to pray about it. You've had a month. Trust them. Have you been engaged for like four years? Listen, I don't know, man. The Bible says the love deferred makes the heart grow sick. Somebody can't pull the trigger there on that one. God says, Jump and I'll give you rest. Wow, Jesus promised that. And he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn it from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find, here's the word again rest for your souls. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, that frees us up from the burden of trying to be good enough. It's a killer, everybody, and maybe you can join with me. I've, I grew up learning that, where never good enough, no matter what you did. I could have walked on water, but then, you know, my parents would have said, there's something wrong with that water. <laughs> maybe you grew up with that. It's like, it didn't matter what I did. I had somebody tell me recently in a biblical guidance uh, meeting that they grew up, their heart was really right toward the Lord, they loved God, but their parents kept accusing them of stuff. You're doing this, I know you're doing this. And the kid wasn't doing it at all. No, well now the person's, uh, I'm gonna say old, in their 60s, so I gotta watch that. (laughs) So young in their 60s. But growing up, accused, accused. Where were you? You were with those boys, weren't you? That the person eventually, after years of that, concluded, you know what? They think about it more than I do. Apparently, I'm missing out on something great. No, listen. Apparently, I'm missing out on something spectacular because that's all they talk about. And they accuse me of it. So I guess I'm going to go do everything they said yep and they did out of our mouth we can shape people we can create people husbands know this men we can say something to the women in our lives daughters wives we can say something and we can destroy them or we can build them up and i don't know if you guys have known this this Uh, This is going to be pretty cruel. But if you want to know how a marriage is going, always look at the wife. Did you hear me? This is Biblical Guidance, Biblical Counseling 101. When you ask a question of the couple, always look at the wife when you ask the question. It's amazing. When a, when a wife is encouraged and, and built up and told that she's beautiful and you can do it, I've got, whatever you need, babe, this is going to be great. You're going to, you're going to get an A. She most often does. But if she's beat down, beat down, the whole world will see it because she just shrivels up. Head goes down, posture begins to slouch. She's lost her spirit. That's a form of legalism, is it not? Jesus said, you come to me, I'll give you rest. Does that sound appealing to you? It does to me. And then secondly, look at verse 2. Believe in the scene by putting an end to condemnation. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. If the Old Testament, my friends, can save you, then why the guilty conscience? That's what he's saying. This is a very deep but simple thing right now, everybody. How's how's your conscience? Think of it. People who are involved in a cult, they're terrified constantly because they... They have no peace. They've not enjoyed any assurance because the gods of the cults don't give assurance. The gods of the cults have to keep you insecure, so to speak, tied up at the stake so you don't run away. No, the God of the Bible sets you free. And he set you free from condemnation. None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect. But isn't it a shame that I'll lay my head down tonight and my conscience is crystal clear. No more guilt and shame after I came to Jesus. Well, when I came to Christ, I had to learn this just like some of you are learning it now through Bible study. That the Bible talks about a conscience that you and I have. And we can be set free an end believe in a scene and what God does when that happens is that he puts an end to the condemnation in our lives the old testament could never relieve your conscience of being a sinner There's, it didn't have that kind of power listen to this romans chapter 8 verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are keyword in Christ Jesus. Listen, here's what they look like. They don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Their life at now, your life now, is after the things of God. Does it mean you're perfect? No. Do you want to be perfect? Yes! My flesh gets in the way. But I fight it. And even in the fight, Christians, are you, are you with me tonight? Yes. Even in the fight, that's the proof. That I'm living in the spirit and that there's therefore now no condemnation. Amen. It's awesome. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin. He, sin was condemning us. He condemned sin. Wow. It's beaten us up. Jesus, one blow, one blow. Listen, Christ explodes from the grave, so to speak. The stone's rolled away, and sin is defeated. It's broken, absolutely. He condemns sin in the flesh, verse 4, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And church family, you, you have to know yourself. The Bible says to examine yourself to determine whether you're in the faith or not. This is a great statement right here. Do you pursue, do you want to pursue the things of the Spirit? For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity or warfare against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. He's talking to the believer. Freed. I'm going to show you a, a headline that came out just the other day. And uh, I want to talk about this point, about condemnation and consciousness. And uh, this is, uh, this is uh, it's, I don't know where to, s- to start with this. Headline, uh, Gay Catholics Rejoice as Pope Approves Same-Sex Blessings, which is same-sex marriages. But this is just a first step. Oh, my God, he actually did it, says jubilant Catholic uh, Michael Pettinger. Now, I guess, I don't know what really, now you know, really going to hit the fan. Um, so this is a big deal, everybody. You know, we started the book of Hebrews during COVID because this church was inundated uh, with Catholics coming because their church was closed and we were so happy about Catholics coming. And so we pivoted and went to the book of Hebrews and little did we know that there'd be good reason for you to be studying the book of Hebrews to find out that you don't have an earthly priest that you can trust in. Amen. There's only one priest in heaven that you can trust in. His name is Jesus. Amen. And this is a perfect reason Why? The Catholic Church, the Catholic Church is done. It's over. The Pope, who is the great seer, he's the pontiff, the pontiff maximus. He is the voice of God on earth to the Catholic. Okay? What he says goes. This should start, right now, the largest mass exodus of people out of the Catholic Church than any other thing in the history of man, right now, absolute death and destruction. Jesus said to stuff just like this, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. The Catholic Church has gone against Scripture and against God, which is a sign of the end times, by the way, This is an apostate pope, this is a heretic, and this guy has announced, oh, God was wrong. God's wrong in his design of marriage. I'm going to change it. And by fiat, he changes it, but I believe that people who hang on to the Catholic Church from this moment on because this conversation, I don't know if you heard about this, this conversation is going on in Catholic churches all around the world. The Catholic websites, the priests you should hear the priest. Half the priests are saying, that's awesome. Half the priests are saying, we're out of here. This is a great thing. Here's the, here's the thing. If a Catholic stays and you look to this guy and the church to be your salvation, you own that. I on the other hand, I'm going to go to Jesus. Amen. I'm going to go to his priesthood. And they someone during the report called him the holy father and almost threw up. There's nothing holy about him. He believes in abortion and advocates for abortion. He believes in evolution. This guy changes more colors than a chameleon. It's, unbelie- it's, it's, it's horrific. It, it's, Jack, you're kind of lit up about this. Yeah, you know why? This guy's dragging people into hell. He's going in head first, but he's pulling people who's hanging onto his robe. Can you imagine if one quarter of the Catholic Church woke up and said, I'm going to go to Jesus? If they just said, That's it, I'm, I'm running to Jesus. He said, Come, I'm gonna come. Amazing. Oh. Verses three to four, it's this, and we'll end here. It's Believing the scene by removing all remembrance of me. And I love this. Removing all remembrance of me. See, what do I mean by that? Well, let me tell you. It says in verse three, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. <laughs> Listen to this. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. This is beautiful, church. Watch this. The scripture here in 10 verses 3 and 4 of Hebrews is saying, every time. You made a sacrifice. You were conscious of your sin. But once a year in the Day of Atonement, you were really, really conscious of your sin. And you you knew it. And that's how it is. But if you would have listened to Moses in the book of Exodus and Leviticus, it was announced back then that it's all a pattern built after that which God showed Moses in heaven. God showed Moses. He must have shown him in the sky on Mount Sinai. This is what we got here in heaven. Go and build the Ark of the Covenant and all of that. It was, an, it was a symbol. It was a shadow your sin would be before you always every year you're reminded christian listen to this isaiah 43:25 i even i am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and i will not remember your sins excuse me but that is awesome right isaiah 44:22 I have blotted out like a thick cloud, your transgressions, and like a cloud, your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. How about this? John 8. You're familiar with John 8. Remember the woman at the well? and all, uh, I mean, uh, the woman who got caught in the act of adultery. Remember this? Now, early in the morning, he came uh, into the temple and All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And then the scribes and Pharisees uh, brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, verse 4, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. I always wanted to continue that verse. In the very act, because we were watching. (laughs) Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that... Such should be stoned. What do you say? Verse 6. This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't you love to have seen that happen? So when they continued asking him, (laughs) (laughs) they're just whining. Oh, this is a classic moment. (laughs) So, when they continued asking, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So, whoever is the most holy in your little holiness team here, your little holiness club, you get to throw the first rock at her and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground you know he was writing their sins down on the ground you know that if one of the scribes the pharisees was called fred he just put fred you know robbed your mom ripped off your friend went you know went out last night with bubbles <laughs> out behind the 711 he's writing their sins i believe in the dirt the bible says because in fact they looked this you can read that chapter in its entirety they were as he wrote they became convicted of their sins what do you think he was writing it had to be he will write our sins in the earth as it were yeah think of that Verse 9, and then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one beginning with the oldest even to the last and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst and when Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And (laughs) I hear a very timid response. She said... No one, Lord? And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This term, go and sin no no more, is not, neither do I condemn you. Go now and be sinless. And the moment you mess up, it's over. No, that's not what he said. Go and sin no more. The term means, I don't condemn you either. This, listen. Listen. I do not condemn you either. What has just taken place in your life, God has set you free from your life. You're no longer you, and I will not remember you as the you you used to be. I'll only know you now as the you that you are now in me. The past is gone. It's washed away. Go now and live a life new. That's what he's saying there. Go live a new life. Just think about that. You might, oh, same life, just like the groove, the record. No, listen, he's, he, he's saying this, look to me and I'll pick it up and I'll get it out of the groove and it, you can play again. Amen. Read John chapter five. I don't have the time now to go through that. John five. The man is at the pool of Bethesda. It's uh, when we when we do our Israel tours, we always go. These pools of In John 5, the pools at Bethesda have been unearthed. And they're there. And it's amazing. You actually stand and look down at the actual pools of water that Jesus saw. And there was a man there crippled. Everybody went there because they believed that they had this superstition, that an angel actually came down and moved the water. And if you, got, if you were the first one to jump into the pool, listen, uh, I need, maybe I'm, I need to be more reverent about these things. I, I, but I, my mind just works like a three-year-old. <laughs> the Bible says that they all gathered around the pool who were infirm, who were crippled, those who were sick, and they watched the water... To see when an angel would move it. What do you mean, move it? Like a little. It's like, a, what's going to happen? Oh, an angel's wing's going to hit the water. And when the water moves, we jump in. And whoever gets in first gets healed. So the man, the man says to Jesus, well, Jesus actually says to the man, awesome. Is there anything I can do for you? Isn't that a great question? Is there anything I can do? You know, if the guy would have said, I would, thank you, I would love to have some hummus and shawarma. <laughs> Maybe a couple of falafel on the side. He, no way. This is so funny. He's crippled and he's at the spot and Jesus says, is there anything I can do for you? Do you, do you love this? This is amazing. I just, the man says, well, when the water begins to move, because I'm crippled, everybody gets ahead of me, so I never get in in time. He just informed Jesus. What was he asking? No, seriously, think think this through. What is he asking of Jesus? Is he saying, can you watch the water for me? And when it moves, push me in. He doesn't even have to be healed. He doesn't even have to be pushed. He just informs Jesus of what Jesus already knows. Does that resemble us? And Jesus said to him, why don't you pick up your bed and go home? Heaven answers that. Let's listen, let's stand. We're going to answer this kind of an answer is this? I don't have anybody to push me or hold me or get me into the water. See, we would have said, you know what you need to do? You need to have a plan. And you need to learn, I know your legs don't work, but you need to learn how to throw your elbows. And get in there, man. If you want a healing bad enough, make it happen. If you have enough faith, it'll happen. Now Jesus said, why don't you pick up your bed and walk? Our lives are like this every day, believer. Jesus is going to say to you, well, why don't you do that? But why don't you do this? And we're going to say, I have nobody to help me. I didn't even have anybody to push me. And he'll say to you, just get up and go home. And the man got up. And he just went absolute bonkers after that. He was so happy, freaking out. In fact, it, tr- it made the whole town, go- they're all upset. That, guy, that Jesus did that. He wasn't supposed to do that on a Sabbath day. He broke the law. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord God, over our lives, Lord, liberty and freedom tonight, Lord God, that we would be so set free from not only the things that we know have bound us, but there are things in our lives that have bound us and we don't even know we're bound by them. We've lived so long under a yoke or a weight that we don't even sense it anymore. We just realize that this is the way it is. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would shatter that in many lives tonight, that we would not settle for that. And Lord, I pray, and you'll, if, if I flub this up publicly, Lord, you know exactly what I mean by this, but if thousands of people could boo the name of Jesus and one of your children in a stadium, and that not deter that man's walk and the opinion poll of this world is irrelevant, that, Father, in all of our lives tonight, though an entire Crowd be against us and that crowd is, is the world the Bible says is against us Lord may your Holy Spirit come upon us even now fill in us with new strength and freshness and renewal and Lord that you'd prepare us as you've put us on the calendar as it were for such a time as this the things that are coming to our world, they're not going to be accidents. Whatever it might be, they're not an incident. There will be no catastrophes when viewed through the eyes of God. You know all things. And we thank you that you saved us the way that you did, because we would have messed it up. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and being resurrected from the dead and for you to purchase the price of heaven for us but in a real way, you're not a socialist not everyone is saved not everyone's going to heaven I know that your word says that you're not willing that any should perish but that all should come to eternal life But you made us with the ability to choose because that's where real love is at, is being able to choose to love. True relationship. Lord, tonight I pray that we would believe so that we might see. And that, Lord, we would come out of the shadows of our past. No longer defined by what we know or remember about ourselves. No, but that we would constantly be reminded that we're in Christ, new creation, lovers of God, and Lord, that you would be delighted to take us by the hand and lead us day by day until that final day comes, we hope and pray that it's. Announced by a trumpet and that like Enoch we'll walk with you and on one of those days we will have walked so long with you that it's closer to your house than it is for us to go back to our house. So God we pray tonight that if any man, woman, boy or girl doesn't have that peace of eternal life that they would trust Jesus tonight Repent of their sins. Call out to Him. Call out to you. We love you, God. Get us ready. Let's sing this song of praise and worship. Make it a prayer, church family. This song that Danny's going to lead us in. And listen, at the end, you guys go out with joy you decide that tonight you just Lord I'm going to believe your word I'm going to go out with joy and I'm going to be led forth with peace because believe in a let's bless him in this song church